today we're going to finish the last week in our series called Good News. How many of you know that good news is a matter of perspective? Uh, it's all about how you walk through life and, and what you're looking for in life. And, you know, there's constantly bad news being um, just hammered down on social media, and we're, we're hearing it constantly. How many know the enemies at work in this world? And uh, our war that we fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And, and so we, we find mankind confused about that. They don't understand scripture. And so mankind is fighting and battling each other, trying to solve the problems of the world. But that's not really how God designed it. And in this series, though, we're not asking you to stick your head in the sand and, and forget about how horrible um, sin is and how horrible life can be. But what we are saying is that if you lift your eyes up, there's actually good news in the midst of the bad things that are going on in this world. How many of you know that's true? If you haven't had a chance to check out this entire series, make sure to uh, check it out by going to the Church Center app, go to our YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and make sure to listen on your app of choice. Let's take a minute together and pray as we get ready to go. Father, we love you, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are mighty and you are at work. God, in fact, as we're sitting here doing no work today and just opening our hearts and our ears, God, you're doing powerful things in our soul. And so we submit our heart, our will, our life to you today. Help us to hear you in Jesus' name. Somebody say a big rowdy amen. Amen. I said a big rowdy amen. amen. We're talking about the good news today. I titled the message today, the good news about sin. What in the world? How could there be possibly be good news about sin. We're going to talk about it today. See, the truth is, without the perspective of the good news, when we look at sin, when it comes to sin, there's absolutely no hope. And I don't know if you're convinced of that as a believer, or maybe you're not a believer in here today, and you're convinced that you have a lot of hope with sin running rampant in the world. There's no hope outside of the good news. I'm here to tell you that today. Let's read Genesis chapter three. We're gonna read verse one through 13 and, and, and check out what scripture has to say about what happened in the very beginning. Here's what it says. It says this, the serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord God had made. Now, the serpent uh, is a, a picture of the enemy. That's, he used the serpent to deceive And it says this, one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any tree in the garden? Of course we may eat from trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat of it or touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was so convinced, she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. Somebody say, yummy. (laughs) And she wanted the wisdom it would offer her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. But when the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. 
Who told you you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? But the man quickly replied, oh, it was the woman you gave me. Now, what a great man of God, throwing, throwing his girl Eve under the bus with no problem. He says, it was the woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Now, there's about 10 different sermons in this uh, passage today. We only have time for one, so I am constraining myself. Otherwise, we'd be here for a few hours. You all would leave me, and I would feel bad, and it would just be a really bad thing. The scripture goes on to describe, if you read the rest of the Bible, that God didn't want Adam and Eve to live in this life uh, in a state of death with death ruling their body. So he casts them out of the garden to protect them from the tree of life that would give them eternal life. See, he didn't want you and I to live on forever in a state of fallenness and brokenness. So he, he brought the plan of redemption and he sent Jesus to the cross to renew us and to give us new life and bring access again through Christ to the tree of life that was in the garden so that we can live forever with him. And what a great story it is. But I need to give you some bad news about sin real quick so we can talk about the good news. And, and here's the bad news about sin. It comes with a lifetime guarantee. And here's the guarantee. Sin guarantees distortion. It wants to distort. You know, in verse 10 of the scripture we just read, Adam replied to God, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. See, Adam was once in perfect harmony and perfect union with the Father. He didn't fear the Father. He felt no shame. But when sin entered the picture, it distorted everything that Adam saw, everything that Adam thought. And for the first time ever, Adam feared God. He never saw God this way. He had complete peace, unity, and harmony in his relationship with God. For the first time ever, Adam looked within himself and he felt shame. He felt shame about his physical body. He felt shame in his soul. So he was hiding and he was now afraid, running from God. Why? Because sin distorts, and it distorts a lot of things. We're going to talk about three things in this first point that sin distorts. Here's the first thing that sin distorts. It distorts our power. Somebody say power. See, in Genesis 1, before the fall, if we remember correctly, God created all of creation, and then the crown of his creation, mankind, he said, mankind, I'm going to give you dominion, power, and authority to rule the earth. And he gave man power. But how many know that sin distorts how man uses power? Man's not really good at using power. And I, I think it's really interesting. A lot of times we, we often say in the Christian world that, that God is sovereign, and he is. Sovereign is a, is a word that just means that he's in control and he's all-powerful. And yes, he is in control and he's all-powerful. But I think it's important for us to understand and note that in God's sovereignty, he gave rule and dominion to humanity to govern and rule the earth as human saw fit. So I think it's important for us to not blame God for all the corruption in the world. We should blame sin for all the corruption in the world. We can't blame God for bad things happening in the world. We got to understand that, sure, God created the world. And, and what we know that God wanted to do in the world, just look at the garden, perfection and harmony and unity. And he wanted to share his power and his authority with humanity to rule and reign with him. And man messed that up. Yeah, and he's been messing it up ever since. 
God has not changed his mind about giving us power to rule. What have we done with this power? Well, we've created all kinds of isms with this power. Racism, classism, nationalism, humanism, individualism, and the list can go on and on and on. Don't blame God for those things. Blame sin. Sin distorts power. Sin also distorts our pleasure. Somebody say pleasure. I'm not talking about any kind of pleasure today. We could talk about food and relationships, but I'm talking about that pleasure. I'm talking about that bounce, chicka bounce, wow, that pleasure. Now, if you're taking notes, the phrase bounce, chicka bounce, wow, is a very complicated Greek phrase that we don't have time to break down today. It's a little too much for this crowd. Sin distorts. Sexual pleasure. Now, by the way, my wife reads all my messages. She's like, babe, are you really going to say that? I'm like, I don't know. There's like, I've, I've done some run-throughs and I'm praying and sometimes it's funny and sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I should say that, but today we said it. <laughs> but sin distorts our pleasures. You know, the fact of the matter is that God gave sexual pleasure as a good gift to humanity to be enjoyed within marriage. But when sin is at work, it distorts sexual pleasure. That's why people who are married who have every right to enjoy God's good gift don't enjoy God's good gift because sin distorts sexual pleasure. When sin is at work, it's used to, people use sexual pleasure to control, to manipulate. They use it as a means of currency to exchange favors. It's used to exploit and bring violence to others. The distortion of sexual pleasures causes people to see God's good gift as dirty and nasty. Sin distorts power. It distorts pleasure, but it also distorts our physique. We see this in Genesis 3. The way man began to look at their body after the fall was shame. Did you see that? Did you read that? The first thing that Adam was ashamed of was he feared God, and then he was suddenly ashamed of the very thing that was given to him to display God's image, to display his glory to the world, his body. Sin distorts humanity's perspective of the body. And this distortion has affected humanity ever since the beginning. When we look at Genesis 21 and 26, we see that, that God made a male body, And God made a female body as the crown of his creation to express his image to the world. He did this by giving us a a sexual assignment and a gender assignment given to us at birth. And God said, this is the special way that I've made you to display my glory. And when sin gets involved and it distorts how we view the body that God has given to us as a gift to express his image, people come up with all sorts of ideas on what they should and can and have freedoms to do with their body. They want to change the image that God gave them and express it in a different way. And I'm not preaching this hard. I'm preaching this soft, and I'm preaching this gentle because it's so easy to rile the church up and get people saying, amen, that's right, I can't believe the world. But I don't think that that is, represents the tender heart and love of God. 
There's another way that sin distorts us is that we love to look at others' sins worse than ours. We think that sin is much worse than my sin. And when we do that, we get, we get arrogant and we get prideful, we get judgmental, and we misrepresent the God of the universe. See, to represent Christ really well to this world, we need to come with truth and love. You know, when we take our thoughts and our emotions and we just want to get them off of our chest and our little fingers start getting empowered and feel bold and we start typing away to get off on our chest on social media, what we're thinking and feeling about the world. And, and we, we, we put our cape on, our Christian cape, and we're like, I'm saying things that other Christians are too scared to say. I'm saying that other pe- things that other people are afraid to say. And I'm afraid that when we find ourselves in that frenzy, oh, we're declaring the truth, but we're not doing it in love. I believe that there's good news for sin that distorts. That's why we're here today. There's good news for sin that distorts. You know, sin has distorted every part of the human body. And there's a little image, I think, that, that is going to be put up. It destroys the, the, the soul. It destroys the, the, the body. It destroys the spirit. And God has at work to restore every segment of the human body. And, and it's amazing to me, but God is at work through salvation to just transform our spirit. And he does that by ripping out that dead fallen nature that we got in the garden from the fruit on that tree. And he literally stuck the nature of Christ right back in us. It's almost like he uprooted. How many of you know that scripture says, Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the what? And if you're ever going to get that life back that was accessible to you in the garden, that eternal life to live in a good state, you know what Jesus did? He's showing me this right now. He grabbed the tree in the garden, the tree of life. He ripped it out and he shoved it right into you. And the tree of life is boom, right into you at salvation. And now you live forever. And then he's at work in your soul. He's, as you work out your salvation, this doesn't happen instantaneously, your spirit salvation does, but all of a sudden, all of the things that govern your mind, your emotion, your, your will, he begins to work that out through the transformation of his word. And sin that distort has no hope when the word of God is active in your life. It transforms you, it changes you. And then one day your body is gonna be changed. Now this is weird stuff. If you're a first time believer or you don't even know anything about Jesus, the Bible talks about us getting a brand new body and it's gonna be a glorified body just like Jesus' body was glorified when he rose from the grave. Have you ever thought about the things that Jesus did in his glorified body? He ate food. Come on, somebody say, thank you, Jesus. He ate food. He ate food. He fellowshiped with other believers. He didn't just sit around and worship God around the throne. He sat with people. He talked with people. He had communion. He had a relationship. They were eating. In fact, he would just appear in rooms miraculously like, boop. Oh, Jesus, where in the world did you come from? And he would, he would, he would move from heaven to earth and he would transport dimensions and just, I mean, it was absolutely insane. And we're going to have a body like his glorified body. Now, what exactly all that's going to be like, I really have no clue. But it's going to be something. Today, we're talking about the good news about sin. And in your notes, the bad news is that sin will always exploit others to serve self. And here's the good news about sin. The good news about sin is this, that it's been destroyed. 
I love what scripture says in Hebrews 10, 12, but our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin. Somebody say one sacrifice. And this sacrifice, this one sacrifice was what? Good for all time. Then scripture says it was so good that he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. See, some of us in here today, some believers don't believe that his sacrifice was that good. Some of them are still struggling and limping through life, thinking that sin has not been destroyed on their behalf. In their mind, they're still a slave to sin and not a son of God. And the good news today is being declared to you today. Scripture says that sin has been destroyed over your life if you're a believer and you have the life of Christ in you. And you don't have to limp along through life with sin defeating you and taking rule over you. God was so sure about his ability to destroy sin that he sat down. Think about that. When you birth a new baby and you create something brand new or you, you birth a brand new business or a brand new product, you know what people do when they create things? Like, is it going to work? Is it going to die? Is it going to do everything I dreamed it to do? And, oh, everybody get ready. We got to make sure it's okay. And, and we got to make sure it goes the way we planned. Jesus didn't do any of that. He defeated sin and he was like, good. He sat down. That's how confident he was in his ability to destroy sin. Sin no longer has the final say about your life. It's been destroyed. Some of you who feel like depression and suicide and addiction and ungodliness, gender dysphoria, relational strife, some of you who are feeling like these sins still have a hold on your life, I want you to know that Scripture says sin has been destroyed. And God is at work to transform our minds and help us to see that the sin that is bringing disillusionment into our mind can be renewed and changed by the power of God. I want you to know today that there's no doubt in my mind and there's no doubt in God's mind that you are not damaged goods if you have the redemption power of Jesus in your life. You are not broken. You are not suicidal. Uh, You are not mentally ill. You were not born with the wrong body. But can I tell you something? Sin is is so deceptive that it gets you to believe that. And And the truth is, the fact of the matter is because you were born in sin, naturally, spiritually in the garden, you were not born that way. But because of the fall, because of the garden, I'm here to tell you something. Sin is so deceiving that it has humanity believing they were born that way. And can I tell you something? Sin makes you born broken. You're born broken. And it wants you to believe, fully convinced, that that's who you are. And the gospel declares, the good news says, that is not who you have to be. With the power of God in your life, at work, transforming your mind, sin can be broken and it can be defeated. What does scripture tell us about sin? This scripture uh, in Hebrews 10, it says this, that, that it was destroyed by a proper sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was enough. It was proper. It was right. It was so good, it only needed to happen once. Yeah. Jesus said, enough. 
I'm done. I know that humanity can't do it. I think we've finally convinced humanity after all of their attempts to try to get it right, to try to serve me right. They finally have realized that they will never win over sin. And I tried to explain that to them in the garden, but they did not believe me. They thought that they would be okay knowing good and evil. They thought that they knew that they could choose good every time, but they learned that they're not me and they can't. And that sin is overwhelming. So he died your death and said that it's finished, that his sacrifice was enough. Here's the question. Why are you still trying to offer sacrifices that have already been given on your behalf? Why are you working so hard to try to repay God for something that he already did? You know, have you ever tried to go pay off a car note that's already been paid off? You see, when you have a debt at the bank, your name is listed on an account and it has a debt amount. But when that debt is paid off, that account is erased and it gets thrown in the archives. And when you go to the bank to try to pay off a car that's already been paid, they're like, oh, I don't see a debt in the amount of $10,000 with your name on it. There's, there's nothing in here for that. And when you try to repay God over and over and over again for a debt that has already been paid for you, a really good one, in fact, one that was a proper sacrifice for you, God's like, what are you giving this to me for? Like, this is already paid. It's already done. Do you believe that? Do you know that about your sin? We're talking about the good news about sin. Somebody say good news. The good news that it's been destroyed by a proper sacrifice, but it's also been destroyed by a permanent sacrifice. We saw this in Hebrews 10, 12. The writer said the sacrifice was offered. This sacrifice was good for all time. Good for all time. It was a permanent sacrifice, a perpetual sacrifice, an unending sacrifice. A sacrifice that was so good for your sins yesterday, your sins today, and your sins tomorrow. In fact, it was good for every human that would ever be born on this planet, their sins today, yesterday, and tomorrow. It was good for all time. This sacrifice declares to you that you are forgiven. You are in right standing with God. You are good with the Father. I love what Romans 6, 10a says. It says, when he died, he died once, somebody say once, to break the power of sin over your life. He doesn't need to die again to break the power of sin over your life. He doesn't need to die again to get you forgiveness. He doesn't need to die again to get you access to the tree life. Access is yours. Are you going to live in it? You are forgiven. It was a permanent sacrifice. So now walk in your status of forgiveness. See, when, when God looks at you, it's almost like, you know, if you're a youngster in here and you love to, to, to you know, you play and adopt me and, you know, you're, you're like on these games and these guys are like there's a chuckling in the front row. They're like, I don't want anybody to know that I still play adopt me on Roblox. No, I'm just, I'm just teasing. Um, but when, you, when you're playing these first person games and these interactive games, um, there's little names over, over you and it says your little name over your little profile. And when God looks at a son and daughter who's been redeemed, you know, it says forgiven. Do you see yourself that way? Do you walk around in life knowing that I am forgiven? Another sacrifice is not required for me. I am a forgiven son and daughter of God. And he did that for you over 2,000 years ago. He died for you. But when you accepted him in your life as your personal Lord and Savior, you became forgiven. Do you walk in this awareness? You know what this ought to make us do? 
Because I think some believers, after a while, they forget they're forgiven. They start thinking they're good without God. They start thinking that, oh, I got this now. I don't need forgiveness every day. I don't need his, I don't need his life flowing through me every day. I, I'm good. I'm good at being a human now. But I'm telling you something. You rip away the life of Christ from you, and you're in big trouble. And it shouldn't take us very long thinking through what we did through that day to discover how much we need him. But you know, when you discover how forgiven you really are, you know what it makes you do? Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God, for what you have done for me. I am radically aware of where my eternal existence is going to be apart from you. I am radically aware of what sin can do in my life without your help. It should put you in a permanent state of gratefulness. Have you ever met somebody who's been forgiven by a huge debt? When they're forgiven, have you ever seen somebody in debt and somebody who loves them comes to them and says, hey, I want to bless you. I'm going to give you something because I want you to have a new start. They put a check in your hand for $5,000, $10,000. They pay for your school. They pay for your honeymoon. They pay for your dress. They pay for the things. What do you do? Wow. Tears. Oh, my gosh. I, couldn't have, I could not have done this. Oh my God, thank you so much. What, what can I do to repay? Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I don't even, I don't even know what to say. I have, I have no words for this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What can I do to repay you? Thank you for loving me. Thank you for believing me. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for getting my back. Thank you for, for helping me when, when I had no way to help myself. Thank you, thank you. And you know what the Father says to you? Just serve with me. Come on. Let's go do this for other people. Come walk with me. I'm going to show you how to love the unlovable. I'm going to show you how to feed the hungry. I'm I'm going to show you how to send the gospel throughout the world. Come with me. Let's go share this gift with the world. If your heart doesn't respond like this to his perpetual, powerful forgiveness, I wonder if you're fully aware of how sin has really affected you. The good news about sin is that it's been destroyed. The good news about sin is it's been disturbed. Somebody say disturbed. The enemy had a plan, and he, he wanted to just disturb God's plan through sin. So here's how he did it. What's been disturbed? The enemy's plans for eternity have been disturbed. Somebody say, thank God. I mean, you're a beneficiary because the plans of the enemy have been disturbed. He wanted to cut humanity off from the life of Christ, to live in unity and harmony with the Father forever, and the plans of the enemy have been disturbed. The enemy knew that the wages of, of sin was death, as Amanda said earlier, and he wanted to destroy God's eternal plans. But those plans have been destroyed. They're done. They've been disturbed. I paraphrase John 3.16. It says this, God loved the world that he gave us Jesus. He wanted to disturb the plans of the enemy. I don't know if you've given your life to Jesus, but I want to encourage you to do that if you have not done that yet. You know, as we see through the lens of history, man, sin has done a lot of things in our world. But I'm here to tell you the good news about sin is that it's been disturbed. The second thing uh, in your notes is this, that the enemy's plans for earth have been disturbed. He wanted to just utterly destroy earth. 
He wanted to make it an unlivable place, an intolerable place. And, and we see sin at work. We said earlier in the beginning, we're not putting our heads in the sand. We see war and we see the inequalities among genders and the rich and the poor and the educated, the, the uneducated, the religious and the non-religious, racism between ethnicities. He wants to destroy earth. But here's what we also see in Acts chapter 2. We see that the Holy Spirit came onto this earth in Acts chapter 2 and the kingdom of God was established and began to take over the earth. By the way, there's nothing new today that hasn't happened yesterday. There's nothing new today that we didn't see in the Old Testament. There's, there's no ism, there's no destruction that is worse today than it ever was since the beginning of time. Sin has always been foul. It has always distorted. It has always disrupted. It has always done damage. It has always messed up human beings. It always has. But God has always been good. And he's always provided a way. And he's always made a way. And he created a way. And he brought his kingdom from heaven to earth in the book of Acts and started to establish his kingdom to move. The question is this. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you're just a bystander, a good little Christian in the kingdom? Or do you believe that God has said, hey, David, come with me. Rule in my kingdom. Together, we're going to take over the world. Do you believe that? Yeah. 